Hey, y'all, this is your girl, Amber, reaching your potential. In this episode, I am very excited to invite one of my OT friends on this episode. She is a pediatric OT working in early intervention. But another thing that is really cool about her is that she is, look, I, I call her like the financial guru. Like she knows how to budget. She knows how to save. And I think this is such a key thing in our society about saving for the future. And she's going to give all the gems in this episode. So let's get started. She is a occupational therapist working in early intervention, and she's just going to talk a little bit about herself and kind of like what she got, how she got into OT. So everybody meet Amira. Hello, and thank you so much, Amber, for having me on your podcast. I am so excited about this conversation today. I love listening to you, and I'm just honored to be a guest speaking all about something that I am so passionate about. So again, my name is Amira. I am originally from North Carolina. I went to school out there for undergraduate and grew up all throughout North Carolina, um, and I love it. I am a Southern girl at heart, but I am now living in Arizona, and I like it. It's a little hot, but it's okay. <laughs> I can do. So I love it. So I initially came into occupational therapy, I think that there's kind of these two categories that people fall into. They either have always known that they wanted to do OT. They always knew it existed and they knew that was the path for them. And then there's people who really had no idea what OT was until a couple months before starting school. And I am definitely in that category. So growing up, I loved learning about the human body. I loved working with kids. I did, you know, all the babysitting things when I was younger. So I knew I wanted to work with kids. I thought I wanted to be in medicine. So I started started out wanting to be a neonatologist because I love the NICU. I loved everything about preemie babies and just helping them, you know, meet their milestones and different things like that. So I thought that I wanted to be in the NICU as a neonatologist. So I started out undergrad as a human biology major. And let me tell you, chemistry kicked my butt. I knew it was not going to be the path for me for a lot of different reasons, but I, that chemistry food, they say it's a weed out class and it definitely is because it weeded me out. So at the time I was nannying for a hand occupational therapist and I was like, Hey, I know you do something within healthcare, but I'm not really sure what. And she was like, oh, let me tell you all about the beautiful world of OT. And that is really what led me here. Um, she set me up with a lot of her pediatric OT friends. She talked to me about how I could even work in the NICU as an OT and I loved it. So I started OT school in Boston, Massachusetts, and it was great. It was a great experience. I went to Houston, Texas for my level twos, I had one at a children's hospital and I got to be in the NICU there. And then I had another one in acute care with adults. And then I went to Seattle to do research and I also got to be in the NICU there. So I got all of this incredible experience but in the NICU, I always heard about early intervention. And so I was like, wait, what is this? Because I'm kind of interested in that too. So I started hearing about early intervention. And when I graduated, although I did have some NICU experience, it, it's just a tough path. Anyone who wants to be in the NICU probably understands how hard it is. Like I had to fight for those rotations. And so I decided I would take my talents to the early intervention setting. And I have been there ever since. I've been practicing for a little over two years now. And I love it. I work with birth to three year olds and they are the light of my life. I love what I do so much. So uh, that's a little bit about me and my story and how I came to occupational therapy. 
That is awesome. I just like jotted down a few notes when you were talking, but me and you have the same or similar story in terms of OT or learning about OT. Um, I didn't learn about it until I got into college. So um, I was way behind in the game of, in terms of knowing what OT was all about. But I just love how what your passion was before you even knew about OT kind of got you to where you are now. And I have a similar story, but not in terms of um, working with pediatrics. It's kind of working with older adults um, because I love older adults because of my relationship with my grandparents and my great-grandparents. Basically how I was able to see my great-grandparents live until they were 94 and 98 years old. And that's a blessing, you know, like not just having grandparents, but great-grandparents and having a relationship with them. So from there, that's when I like really had a huge passion um, working with the geriatric population. So like in college, I was just leaning towards adult-based things or geriatric courses. And like right now I'm working in a skilled nursing facility, working with mostly older adults. But fun fact is that I actually got a part-time job working at early intervention. Yay! <laughs> yeah. That's so exciting. <laughs> I know. So I'm going to ask you a few tips on that because I have no idea where, what I'm putting myself into, but um, I think it's really exciting to kind of see the difference of, you know, from working with geriatrics on um, you know, the day-to-day basis, but then after work, I get to work with like little kiddos. So I don't, I don't know what, how I'm going to do it. We'll see, but I'm definitely going to contact you to, you know, help me out a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. I love early intervention so much. And, you know, it's one of those things where they say as a new graduate, don't go into the setting. And I advocate for the exact opposite. And I say, if that is where your heart is, if that's what you're passionate about, you absolutely can do it. Will it be challenging? Yes. Will you have to do some research after you get off work? Yes. But, and I mean, in what setting don't you have to do that? You know, there is that learning curve as a new graduate. So, and you, I mean, you're, you're a couple of years out too, right? So I'm actually not like, I'm actually going to make a year in a few months. So. Oh, why did I think we were both like about <laughs> two years? Okay. <laughs> not even like I'm about to be a year, I think in October. It's not like that. Oh, wow, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but you've got a few months of experience just practicing as an OT under your belt. So yeah, yeah, sure. mm-hmm. yeah, you'll be great. You'll be great. I'm excited. And I'm here to answer any questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> of course. All right. So let's get into the nitty and gritty of finance and budgeting and all these other things. But the first thing I do want to ask is when did you realize this is something that you wanted to, you know, dive deeper into? Yeah. So it's interesting. When I first graduated, I did not look at my student loans for a couple of months. I, I, I was like, you know what? It's out of sight, out of mind. I'm probably going to die with these loans and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. I had that attitude and that mindset, which is something I talk a huge uh, portion about because it's such a big part of when you want to, you know, really jumpstart your financial journey and things that you have to do. So when I graduated, um, I'll just tell you my, my student loans, um, are well into the six figure range. So my OT on my OT program was roughly about $120,000 for the three years. It was an entry-level OTD program. So it was significantly more expensive than some of the other programs out there. But when I went into it, I fell in love with the school. I fell in love with Boston and I just felt like that's really where I want it to be. And I did not look at that price tag and I didn't really, they're just numbers, right? They're just numbers on a page. So I feel like it didn't even have any like real significance to me, how much I was actually taking out. Um, and then I ended up having to borrow 
even more than that because I was traveling for my clinical rotation. So I had to pay for housing and I wasn't working. And so all of that just starts to really add up. So when I graduated, I knew I was well over a hundred thousand dollars. So I didn't want to look at it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to look at it. It'll just be there. I'll deal with it later. And what happened is that my boyfriend at the time, he's not my husband. He was like, Amir, you really should know how much debt you're in. And I was like, why, why do I need to know this? And he was like, because don't you want to get out of it? And I was like, I mean, eventually. <laughs> and he, so he really kind of helped guide me into just being more comfortable, A, talking about finance, because I think for a lot of people, especially women and especially people of color, we don't really grow up having those conversations about money. So already I was uncomfortable with it. And so he really kind of pulled me out of my shell and I got really comfortable just asking him questions. And, you know, he was talking to me about things. And so he really is the one who, again, going back to that mindset, shifted my mindset for me being like, oh, I think I can actually tackle these if I actually look at it. And so that's really kind of the first step really with finances is just being like, okay, I can get a handle on this. Even if I don't know where to start, I know that I can do it. And so that for me is kind of what pushed me into that space of being like, I feel like I'm not the only one because what happened is I started talking about it. Once I was comfortable having those conversations um, with my husband, I was like, okay, I'm a little bit more comfortable. I'm curious what will happen if I take this to Instagram. And I was pretty new in the Instagram scene. And I mean, now I have lots and lots of friends like you and it's amazing, but I was pretty new on the scene. And I was like, oh gosh, no one else is really talking about things like this. I don't know how this is going to be perceived. And I started having these, what I called money Monday chats, where I would open up a question box and I would talk about just what questions do you have about money? And from there, I realized how much of a need it was for us really as occupational therapists and just healthcare providers to be having these conversations. I think that a lot of times, you know, in business and of course in finance and tech, they're so open about numbers and they're so open about salary and what you can expect and things. And I just realized that our field, we didn't have that. We weren't being super open and transparent. And then, you know, you get a new grad like me who I realized, wow, the, the income that I heard that OTs can make is actually really, really difficult to make. And I, I realized I had a lot more loans than I thought I was going to have. And so really, I, I guess just being an Instagram and having those conversations with other people, I saw that there was a need and it was something that I was highly uncomfortable doing, but I wanted to get more comfortable with it. And so that really just pushed me out of my comfort zone. And I've been able to kickstart what I'm doing now. And I love it. That's awesome. And I felt that even during when you were talking, you kept saying being comfortable, you know, like being comfortable, having that conversation about something really uncomfortable, which is money. Even now, like thinking about money, sometimes it's, it's such a mixy topic because you don't want to talk about it because you're like, okay, I need money, but how can I make more money? How can I save money? How can I get rid of these loans? You know, there's so many things that are just encompassing that topic of money that we don't really discuss with other people. And even, as you said, in anybody's type of society, especially like people of color, we don't really talk about money. We don't really um, discuss saving money or trying to get out of loans or just having that good guide, like a guide to get to where you want to go financially. And it's not really discussed. And the most frustrating part is that you have to kind of like trial and error what works and what may not work. 
And then sometimes it may work, sometimes it may not. And then you get more frustrated where you don't want to even have the discussion of money at all. So I'm just very happy that you went through that journey where your boyfriend slash now husband um, was able to encourage you that like, you need to know how much loan, like how much you owe (laughs) the government in terms of loans, which I actually need to look at myself because I know I owe a good amount of money in terms of like undergrad and grad, but that's something that we need to know because if you don't know how much you owe, how are you going to know where to start? That's exactly right. And so a lot of people now will ask me questions about, well, I don't know where to start. How do I get started? And that's always like the first thing that I say is you have to know your numbers and not only your total student loan debt, um, but you need to know, you know, how much are you bringing in every month? Are you, do you have a variable income? Does that mix? Like how much are you really going to bring in every month to cover like your basic necessities? And then being able to know how much am I spending? So being able to really track your expenses. And so I talk a lot about budgeting too. I feel like budgeting and mindset are like my two areas that I really like to touch on because they're so important when you want to save or when you want to start to invest or whatever you pay off your debt. So you really have to start again with that mindset, being comfortable and open. And I think too, acknowledging that it's not just about the money. We're not just talking about money because we want more of it and we're greedy. It's, it's using money as a tool and a tool to create a lifestyle that not only that you want and that you need, but that you deserve. I mean, we work so hard, you know, to get to where we are. And I just want to see all the OTs and, and healthcare professionals and women and people of color enjoying the life that we have created for ourselves and using money as a tool. So I think, you know, we just have to acknowledge that too, that we're not having this conversation because we're just greedy and we want more money. It's like, no, we want to have, you know, a good life. And so just kind of coming to terms with that. But um, going back to kind of where I like to start off is really talking about with budgeting and being able to track your expenses. And that way, you know, okay, at the end of the month, and do I have a positive or do I have a negative? And if I have a positive, great, I can start to set those financial goals and achieve those financial goals. And if I have a negative, then I need to really reassess and figure out how can I either decrease my expenses or increase my income or a combination of both. So that's kind of like where I like to start. That's a good idea for sure like having a budget and knowing how much you're bringing in because that really does it gives you an idea of where you need to start it gives you an idea of kind of like even figuring out where you're putting your money in are you putting your money on food are you going out every weekend or are you just buying and shopping till you drop type of thing or are you really saving your money for things that are a necessity I know for me like I definitely do budget my money for certain things because I know that things were going to be due at certain days of the month. And like, I have a car note and I know I have to pay my insurance. I have like my credit card, um, little stash that I put aside. So like every time I get paid, I know like this is the amount of money that I'm going to put towards whatever. And then I know I have like a little bit of money left where like either I'm going to just keep that as like extra money that I'm not going to even touch, or I, also use it as like an investment thing. So I have like other like outside sources where that money is being invested and it's not being touched, but it's going to accumulate because of like the interest and things of that nature. So like there's different things that I'm doing like here and there sporadically, but I feel like it has been helpful because I feel like if you get, especially like with our types of jobs or people that do get a good amount of money, they don't know what to do with it. And it's just like, okay, I have all this money. What, like, what do I do? And um, they need to have that type of guide to figure out, okay, you should put your money here. Or what do you want to achieve 10 years from now? Like, where do you see yourself? 
And I feel like we have to have those conversations in order for people to kind of have a, a game plan of where they're going to put their money, not just in a savings account, but does the savings account have a certain amount percentage that is going to accumulate the amount of money that you want? Because I know like, for example, Chase, Chase is the worst with savings accounts. <laughs> like it's so bad. It's like 0.01. Like who's going yeah. to put their money in there? It's awful. So like, I always tell people, like I'm not, you know, an expert in any type of financial things, but I know for sure, I don't want to put all my money into my Chase savings account, but it's because it's going to sit there. You know, like you want your money to grow. You want it to like work for you. And as you said, like changing that mindset of like, not just money being like, oh, I just want money because I'm greedy, but like using it as a tool for you and changing that mindset. Like, okay, like, yes, this money can make, make me feel happy and have good things, but like quality of life is really like the biggest tip because you can have all the money in the world, but not happy. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's such a good point because for me, I initially struggled with this whole kind of shifting into personal finance because I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm an OT, I'm in healthcare. Like what business do I have talking about (laughs) finance and money and wealth building and things like that. And then I had to really take a step back and remember who am I as an occupational therapist, right? I, in quality of life. I mean, that is what we talk about quality of life. And we talk about money management. We talk about how to help our clients and our patients with money management. So I was like, wait a minute, I am qualified to do this. Like you can talk about, and, and that's, you know, one of the beautiful things I think about occupational therapy is that we are able to do so much. I mean, we always say the possibilities are endless, but like they're quite literally endless because OT is everything. It's everything that improves your quality of life. And so yes, having people or me, you know, coaching and guiding people on how to better manage their money that does improve your quality of life. So that is OT. So I love it. I love that. I was really able to blend those two passions for occupational therapy as a whole. And then also this newfound kind of passion for personal finance and still feel like I'm still doing what I was called to do. And I'm still walking in that purpose, you know? So yeah. it's, it's been a great feeling. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I love like even hearing people like you, Amira, and like other OTs and around the country who find that, that passion outside of OT, but it's still affiliated with OT which is like so funny like my love for fitness is like still aligned with OT which I'm just like it's so mind-blowing how we all have the love for OT and just increasing a person's quality of life their strength their range of motion all these other things but then we just find this one little niche that is still OT related but just expand on it even more you know exactly yeah and I know like personal finance and early intervention those two aren't super connected, (laughs) but I'm still able to, you know, I can switch that part of my brain off when I'm just playing with my little ones or well, now we're virtual. So (laughs) it's a lot of parent coaching, but back, you know, back when we were in person, I was able to, you know, get on the floor and play with the kids, but then I could also, you know, think about finance. And so, you know, you, you can, even if, like I'm saying, early intervention and finance aren't necessarily connected, but at the root of it, at OT, at who it is to be an OT. And so I, I just encourage everyone to just dive deep and, you know, not everyone is cut out for a traditional setting or not everyone wants to do a traditional setting. They don't want to be in a hospital or a clinic and that's okay. And I think just really tapping into what is it that sparks joy for you and what brings you passion and how can you then connect it back to your practice as an OT. And like I said, possibilities are endless. And I mean, you're one of them, you know, you're doing fitness coaching and, and it just goes to show that you can really do anything as an OT, which is great. (laughs) Yes, it really does. And I love to see that everybody has, as you said, like 
you have EI and then finance. And then I'm like working with geriatrics and fitness and then other people just focusing on like advocating for the profession. And um, I know another OT is focusing on like, just like the breastfeeding um, occupation for mothers. Like there's so many avenues you can go with OT. And it's just so much fun to even see that become this like, wow, I didn't even think of that. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, just going back into the finance conversation, OTs are our income ranges widely so yeah. much. Like I, I didn't really realize how, how wide it, it, it spanned. Um, and so thinking about, you know, if you're not quite earning exactly what you want to earn as an OT or what you need to cover, you know, your expenses or your financial goals and things like that. The nice thing is that you can start these side hustles, you know, these side businesses that are bringing in income. So for example, I have, you know, my marvelous miracles brand. And under that I do the personal finance coaching and, you know, resources and things like that, that are generating some income. Not, not a lot right now, cause I'm just getting started, <laughs> but it's still generating some income. So it's nice because I kind of have that to supplement what I get paid, you know, as an early intervention OT, which for me, I'm, it is pretty good, especially for a newish graduate where I'm working in Arizona. And I talk about that a lot on my page about how I've been able to really increase my earning potential and earn what I need to be earning to pay off my student loan debt. Like, it's not even a matter of, I just want to do this so I can like travel or I can invest more. Like at this point, I just need to earn this so I can get out of <laughs> student loan debt. Um, but, <laughs> but that's the nice thing about OT and kind of what we're talking about blending those passions is that you are able to si start side businesses and side hustles that can generate even more income for yourself. Yeah, that's a great tip for sure, because I feel that some people don't realize that you can use that side hustle as additional income. Um, another thing that you mentioned, too, is that like the salary ranges in OT, even among states, because, for example, like I know New York is one of like, in my opinion, it does not pay literally nothing compared to other states out west that pay substantially way higher even for new grads, which I think is incredible, you know, but then also the, the huge question is too, when you start to apply for positions and you get these interviews, then they ask you that question, like, how much do you think you should be making? And you're just like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> so like, that's one question too. Like how, how would somebody know what to say when they are given that question, especially like as a new grad? There's a lot of research that goes into being able to confidently answer that question. It's funny. So the first, oh my gosh, the first, I don't even think I've really talked about this before, but the very first OT interview I did was actually at a sniff. So <laughs> I always knew I wanted to work with kids. I don't know. I was like in the middle of studying for boards and I got this alert from LinkedIn or from Indeed that was like, oh, you know, there's a job opening. So I applied, I was just kind of, I was like, you know, maybe it's good for me to kind of practice my interview skills. I mm -hmm. wanted a break from studying for boards. So I went out on the interview. I knew I didn't really want to work in a sniff, but I was like, you know, it's good practice. So right. I went, but that was the question that they asked me and I was completely blindsided. I had no idea that I would get asked that question. And she was like, how much do you want to be paid? And I was like, oh. I have no idea. Like, I was like, well, I'm open. Like, <laughs> she was like, well, I need a number. And I was like, ah, like, I had no idea like what to say. So I just, you know, thought in my head, well, national average is 80,000. So I broke that down. That's the number that I gave. Um, they ended up offering pretty well below that. But again, I knew that wasn't the position I wanted anyways, 
but I'm glad that happened in that interview versus the positions that I really wanted when I started interviewing for early intervention and, you know, pediatric positions. So I'm glad that I had that kind of fail safe interview so that I was caught off guard. I probably did not look the best because I did not know what to say. Um, so from there, once she asked me that question, you know, I left, I was like, okay, this is something I need to figure out, you know, how to do. So it's funny because this is something I spent a lot of time talking about. I held a Money Monday webinar back in June, which I can't, I was, I meant to do another one by now, but <laughs> life just got really hectic. I can't believe it's already right. September, but in June, <laughs> right? So in June, I held my first one. And this was something that I taught people is how to get to that number. And so it's a combination of looking into what is the average for like your city and your state. But one of the things that really helped me was looking up reimbursement rates. So a lot of times you can find your reimbursement rates. I, I literally just Google like early intervention reimbursement billing manual or something like that in Arizona. And I got a couple of resources and, and basically what it tells you is how much does that company get paid every time you do that job, right? They're going to take a percentage of it, of course, unless you're an independent contractor. But I knew what that company was going to get paid every single time I saw a kid. So I used that number and I shot high. I shot pretty high for it because I knew I was like, okay, you guys are getting a lot. Every time I see a child, mm -hmm. I need to get as much of a you know percentage of that as I can. So that's one of the tips that I encourage people to do is to try, if you can try to find out exactly what that company gets paid every time you do a service so that you kind of have in your head, like a number to go off of. But then, of course, also just looking at BLS, the Bureau of, Lur Bureau of Labor Statistics is another good one. And I like how that breaks everything down. And then there's also the AOTA Workforce Salary Survey. The last one was a couple years ago, and they haven't put out a recent one. I'm not sure why, but you do have to be an AOTA member to access that one. But I like that one too, because it gives you again, those real numbers of what people in your state are making and um, they divide it by like studying too. So I think just doing all of that research to try and get some numbers in your head. Um, and then of course, just having, you know, having that confidence to negotiate it. So if they, if you give them a number and then come back I and mean, you can counter, like it, it's a, <laughs> it's a game, you know, you have yeah, to go back, back and forth <laughs> and new graduates absolutely should be negotiating. I mean, at the end of the day, you are still bringing in money for that company, whether you're a new graduate or not insurance companies don't care. So they're still reimbursing those companies the same. And so just keeping that in mind, um, but there's, there's so much that goes into it. So I could spend like the whole episode of this <laughs> talking about it. Um, but I would just say doing that research and trying to figure out a, some ballpark numbers to, to know kind of where to start off at. And that's, that's really good. And you say you can go on a whole episode. Then I, I definitely have <laughs> another episode by itself, just talking about salary negotiation, because I'm sure everybody would love to hear that, especially like new grads, because even for me, like I've been through a few interviews and I know they always ask me that question. I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, okay, this is what I'm making now. So like, maybe I should like kind of fight a little bit higher. And another thing too, is like kind of like advocating for yourself, like knowing the tools that you can bring to that company is really huge. And I remember um, an OT who was like trying to look for a job like down south, she actually contacted me and was trying to like ask her like, you know, it's really hard to find a job, especially since majority of her field works were virtual this year versus like in person, like how we experience. And she said, no, you know, like a lot of these companies were declining her like experience because that well it was virtual like it's not really an experience or like your field work and I told her like you really need to advocate for yourself and let you know like hey yes it is because I took the time out 
you know, to do these field works, the 12 weeks, whatever, how long the field works were, but also knowing that like these were the requirements that I needed in order to get my degree. So yes, I do have the skills and it's even better that I did virtual because this is our world now. You know, everything is virtual now. So it just shows that I'm flexible. It shows that I have good time management skills. Like I was just telling her, like, these are things that you need to like, you have to think about the, like, literally, what did you go through and advocate for yourself in those interviews? Because most of these companies are just going to shut you down, especially now where most field work experiences are not even in person anymore. They're virtual and they're going to make it seem that you didn't do anything. You just looked in front of a computer for your 12 weeks, which is not entirely true. Yeah. I mean, I think you told her exactly right. I would have said the same thing. You still have, I mean, you still have those foundational skills as an OT, even if you didn't have a ton of the hands-on, you still have those foundational skills. And I mean, that's, that's also why mentorship is so important in a position as well. Mm-hmm. Now with early intervention and home health, it can be a lot tougher to get that mentorship, especially in person, but mentorship. And I say this comes in so many different forms nowadays. I mean, you can do zoom meetings, you can, you know, talk to someone, talk through difficult cases. And so I, I still don't think that should deter you from going into those settings. Yeah. Um, but you know, mentorship comes in so many different forms and that's why it's so important, especially if, I guess, if you were to only have virtual, but I would, I would still negotiate, even if, (laughs) even if they said that, I'd be like, well, listen, here's, here are the skills that I still bring to your company. So I would still, I would still advocate and and negotiate for myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Regardless of what they say, like, no, I'm still negotiating. Like, don't feel like they're just because they, like, I feel like their job is to break you down to make you feel that you don't deserve what you think you deserve. So you just have to keep fighting for what you know you deserve, know your worth, and just keep fighting for it. Even when they say like, well, I'm not going to give you this. Even trying to find like a compromise too. Like, okay, like maybe you may not give me this, but okay, I'm traveling from point A to point B. Or, hey, I have these loans. Do you do a loan to give this? Something. <laughs> Yeah. Considering the whole benefits package. I mean, it's not just salary. Salary is, is one thing, you know, income is one thing, but also 401k matching. And this is something that like going back to what we initially started talking about is just needing that guidance and not knowing. So with my position, they off, they actually don't offer a 401k and I didn't think I needed one. I was like, cause I asked about it. Cause I just, I had heard these letters and numbers and I was like, all right, I think that's a thing I should have. So, <laughs> you know, I asked them and they were like, well, actually, you know, we don't have that. And I was like, oh, well, that's fine. Oh my gosh. If I could have like went back and slapped myself silly, I was like, girl, you needed a 401k. Like that, that would have been a huge determining factor, you know, in comparison to some other um, companies that I had interviewed for, but I had no idea a, that this was like investing that people did to get wealthy. And I also didn't know that I could invest while in student loan debt. And I know this is something that you and I have talked about before on like Instagram, but just knowing that you can invest while in student loan debt and your 401k is a huge part of that because if your company does matching, then it's essentially like they're giving you some free dollars that are going into this investment account that is going to grow and that is going to make you, you know, wealthy someday. So that 401k, like that's a big one. If, if they're not budging on, on salary, I always say, okay, try for the 401k. Can they increase the matching? Like, can we get something going there? Because that's really going to set you up for, you know, just wealth building while you're on your financial journey. Yeah. Like I always heard of the, that word, like 401k because of like, my family in terms of like their jobs. Um, majority of my family are in the education field. So either teachers or I'm um, like in administration. So 401k, like they always told me like, 
make sure that you have that. So I'm like, okay, like I knew that, like that's it. But I didn't know about like the additional um, investment um, accounts that you can have, such as like the IR, like the IRA, right? Yep. Yeah. The Roth IRA. Yeah. So that's what I ended up opening and I just opened it what earlier this year. And I, I just took the step. I was like, you know what? 2021 will be my year to learn about investing. So kind of 2020 was my chance to a get comfortable having those financial conversations, nail down a budgeting strategy that worked for me. Um, I built up a savings uh, emergency fund of three to six. Well, the recommended is three to six months expenses. Mine was a little bit more than that, just because I needed a little extra security just for my own peace of mind. So, you know, I had those goals that I wanted to tackle in 2020, just really setting myself up with those good foundational things before I kind of moved into something like investing. And now I have moved into that and it is a whole new world. I mean, just learning all about how your money can just grow, grow, grow without you having to really do anything is fascinating to me. I'm like, what? (laughs) This is awesome. So I ended up opening the Roth IRA and because I am um, self-employed because I do have an LLC and I do some side things on the side. I plan on opening a self, like a solo well, I'm not going to exactly say what I'm opening because I don't know yet. So I don't want to say that, but I'm going to say there are self, there are options for a 401k for the self-employed. And so that's kind of the area that I'm looking at right now. So my goal by the end of the year is to have that all figured out. But yeah, I mean, the investing thing is it, it can feel very overwhelming and intimidating and you don't know where to start, but I promise you it's actually not as hard as you would think a lot of it's just the terms. You just have to know like the terminology. Like you have to know that a 401k is a retirement account. And then you invest in particular things inside of that. So it, you know, there's, I'm not great with numbers and I always thought, well, if you invest, you have to be really good with numbers, but that's really not how it is at all. So it's, it's amazing. And I, that's something that I've now started to talk about more this year is just being able to invest even while in student loan debt and still tackling that student loan debt. So I I have to say that you don't have to be a hundred percent out of your student loan debt before you start to contribute to your 401k or before you open up a Roth IRA, you can still do those things while you're paying off your student loan debt. Yeah, that's good to, to mention because that's what I'm doing right now. Like I'm still in my loans and I'm still paying off my loans while still investing in my 401k as well as my Roth IRA too. And I just opened up my IRA, um, my Roth IRA this year too. So when I got my new position in OT, I was making a little bit more than my previous job. So I was like, okay, I think this is a good time to start investing, putting more money towards it, especially I know what my goals are in the next couple of years. I'm like, okay, maybe like, I know this account is going to help me reach those goals. So like, let me jump on it now before, you know, later on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, there's one more question I do have to ask is, do you have any advice for anyone who may not even be starting their financial journey in terms of saving? Um, Maybe they're just very overwhelmed with loans. They don't know where to start. Um, What would be your advice to them? Yes. So I, I think I mentioned it earlier. So knowing your numbers, I feel like that's a really great place to start because, and you said this too, Amber, you said like you, you 
can't know where to start if you don't know like what you're working with. So, you know, you have to open up that student loan account. It may be scary. I mean, I think I like got nauseous when I saw that number and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So, I mean, it's going to be scary. You might cry. That's okay. But just really facing the music and knowing, okay, how much student loan debt am, am I in? Now for me, I didn't have any other types of debt. I do have a credit card, but I don't carry um, a large balance on it at all. I just use it for, you know, my basic expenses and things like that. But if you also have credit card debt, looking into that, any, any kind of debt that you have, making sure that you just know kind of where you stand with that. What are your interest rates? Um, you know, how much is your monthly minimum payment? How long is it going to take you to pay it off? Just really having a good understanding of all of that information. And then also being able to track your expenses so that you're knowing what is coming or what is going out every month and where is it going? So just, you know, being on top of that, I know those subscription services, that stuff can add up and you don't even think about it. Like I had a random, like $10 thing from Apple and I was like, what is this? And it was for like some storage that I didn't even need. And so I'm paying $120 a year, you know, for this, that I didn't actually even need. So tracking your expenses is so important. So looking through your bank statements, I like to use the mint app for budgeting. There's also, you need a budget. Um, I don't have a ton of experience with that one, but I know I've heard really good things, but I like mint because I connected all of my bank accounts. So it's really easy. I don't have to just comb through my bank statements. It organizes it for me. So it organizes gas and groceries and, you know, TV, movies, entertainment, whatever. So if you can set up something like that, would be really good just so that you can have a great understanding of like, what, what, what am I working with here? What's coming in? What's going out? Where is it going? And just being able to track it that way. Not saying you have to do anything. It's just, you are going to know what you have to work with. And then from there, like I said, if you have a positive or a negative at the end of that month, you can decide, okay, so I have a little, I have a surplus. Great. So what can I do with that? That's when you can start to build your either debt payoff plan. If you want to do it more aggressively or you can start to build your savings, uh, your emergency savings fund if you don't have that. I always recommend that, you know, when you're starting your financial journey, you want to have that nest egg or, you know, that security just because life is unpredictable. <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen. happen. <laughs> anything can happen. So it's really good for you to just have that peace of mind knowing, okay, if anything were to happen, I were to lose my job, you know, my car breaks down, I have something to go off of. So even honestly, before I started like, quote unquote, aggressively paying my student loan debt or investing, I made sure that I had that emergency fund. So that's really kind of where I encourage people to start. Um, and then from there, you know, it's just kind of like a rinse and repeat. You keep looking at it, keep making sure that you're staying on top of things. If you have that surplus, you know where it's going. Um, and then, you know, of course, talking about investing and things like that, but I don't, I don't talk too much about that for, for the very, very beginning. Cause like I said, it, it can be very overwhelming. So I just like to start there knowing your numbers, budgeting, and then working on your emergency fund and your debt payoff plan. Perfect. I hope everybody was having a pen and paper with that. <laughs> this was like really good information that I know I've learned a lot. And I'm sure whoever's listening to this episode have learned so much as well. But thank you so much, Amira, for your time and just dropping so many great gems on finance, how to budget, how to, you know, just get that first step into tackling your loans or whatever debt that you have. Um, it, it's just been really great. So thank you again. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm an open book. I try to be as transparent as I can, um, you know, on my Instagram and things like that. I do also now offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and consultation. So if you need, you know, that deeper help, 
come on out of the DMS and <laughs> come on to a zoom call with me because I love it. I love being able to just walk people through a lot of times you just need to kind of talk it out to you to somebody, someone else. Um, and so I, I've been in that situation before where I just needed to talk it out with someone. And so I do offer those services and then I'm working on a couple of other fun things. I have a couple of freebies that are going to be coming out, working on some eBooks just to kind of help people with, with navigating that journey, especially as a new graduate, especially as a new graduate in significant student loan debt and being able to just know, okay, where the heck do I start? So just kind of stay tuned and, and those things will be rolling out hopefully soon, but you know, life. <laughs> <laughs> I know life just really be coming so, so fast. You don't even have time to do your projects, which I totally get. But even in terms of that, that kind of is a great segue into when I give my guests the opportunity to just share their social media handles or any projects that they're doing, which you basically told me that, but you can definitely share your Instagram so everybody can follow you. Yes. So first I have a website. It is marvelousmiracles.com. It's miracles with two R's. And on my website, you'll find more information about the services that I offer. So all of the different consultation and coaching calls and kind of what those entail. And then I also have a blog where I, I try to post weekly blog posts um, about different topics related to finance and OT and faith. Cause those are kind of my three big pillars, OT, faith, and finance. And so you'll find on the blog, more detailed, you know, past the Instagram limits, <laughs> characters, <laughs> lots of information on there. So check out the blog. And then my Instagram is at marvelousmiracles.ot. And of course, that is where I talk all things OT, faith and finance. And then you can also, if you're interested in early intervention, I actually have an early intervention project with two amazing EI OTs, Danielle DiLorenzo and Sarah Putt. And so we are at the real OTs of EI and that is on Instagram or the real And we also have a blog over there. So if you want more information about early intervention, those are really the two areas that you can find us talking all things EI, OT and babies. Yay. Awesome. So I, I'm definitely gonna, I already follow all the pages, but I definitely want to look a little bit more into the blogs because as you said, Instagram only gives you a certain limit of what you can put in your captions. So at least the blog gives you abundance amount of space for you to talk about everything that you want to talk about so definitely going to look more into that especially the ei since sooner or later i'm just waiting for my background checks to go through and then they're going to start giving me cases and stuff so you'll hear from me yay i'm so excited (laughs) oh my goodness but yes thank you again amara for everything guys this was the episode where we talked about finance finances budgeting how to tackle your loans And just knowing that the options are endless, changing that mindset from where you think that money is kind of like so evil that you don't want to even talk about it to something that we can use as a tool to reach our goals that we want to achieve. So thank you again, Amara, for everything that you have brought to this episode. I'm so excited to even um, have you on here. I know we're going to have another episode on just like salary (laughs) negotiation because I'm sure people will love to hear that. Um, But guys, that's all we have for today. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything that was talked about in this episode, please hit me up. You guys have my Instagram and my email. Um, But that's all we have. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out.